Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Murder. Some cases will never get the closure that the family needs and deserves. On February 12, 1989, a young girl was born who would have her life ripped away far too soon. A case where, to this day, no one knows exactly what happened to her and where her body is. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Kirsten Hatfield, born February 12, 1989, was living in Midwest City, Oklahoma when, on the night of May 13, 1997, she was tucked into sleep in the bedroom she shared with her little sister and never seen again. After putting the eight-year-old in bed, along with her three-year-old sister, Shannon McCrossin went to her own room and fell fast asleep. She was woken up at about 3 a.m. by what she said was a whining sound coming from her daughter's bedroom, but thought nothing of it because she knew her youngest, Faith, sometimes talked in her sleep. Assuming that's all this sound was, she took a peek in to make sure the girls were okay and noticed that the door was closed. Finding that a little odd, Shannon pushed it back open, but did not go inside. When she came back around three hours later, Kirsten was nowhere to be found. Absolutely panicked, Shannon paced the home and then called the local police to report her second grader missing. When the police arrived, they found the bedroom window cracked, and on the windowsill and outer fence were smears of blood. Further searching found something even more horrific. Kirsten's blood-stained underwear lying in the backyard. Believing statistically that Kirsten was likely taken by a family member or someone close to her, investigators sent in the blood samples found on the windowsill and found that it did not belong to the young girl. Figuring now that it likely was unrelated to the case, when speaking with Shannon, she expressed her worry that her daughter might have been targeted by someone dangerous. She admitted to investigators that she was a drug user, and had connections with others that might see Kirsten as an easy target. This admission, though, nearly destroyed Shannon's credibility with the officers. Seeking as much information as possible, investigators began speaking with all the local businesses and asked that they turn over their surveillance footage in case Kirsten or her abductor happened to pass nearby. What they found was a man seen on camera asking for information on Jet Drive the road that Kirsten lived on with her mother and sister. While they tried to determine who exactly that man was, the community as a whole sprang into action and began their own searches for the little girl. Unfortunately, as the days wore on, nothing new or groundbreaking could be found in connection with the case. The following week, some items of clothing were found along northeast Oklahoma City, but when shown to Shannon, she said that they did not belong to her daughter and the case went straight back to square one. By early June, the Heidi Search Center, who came to assist, 
made their way back to Texas, but Shannon, as well as the rest of the community, refused to back down. Command post was set up at Traub Elementary School, where Kirsten was a student, and searches all throughout the area were coordinated through the Midwest City Police Department. They continued to search, with little to no luck, and the police continued their work on identifying the man seen speaking with the convenience store clerk that day. Described as a black man wearing a blue and white striped shirt and matching baseball cap, the potential person of interest stood around 6 foot 2 inches and weighed around 230 pounds. Days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months. And though police now believe that Kirsten Hatfield was likely murdered after being sexually assaulted, they seemed no closer to finding out who committed the crime or where the girl's body might be. In June of 2015, the case was reassigned to another group of investigators in hopes that a fresh look might turn up some new leads. The plan actually worked and found amongst the files was previously untested evidence that they hoped might just lead to the killer. On that windowsill and on her underwear was DNA belonging to an unknown male that, though there were no initial hits when they ran it through CODIS, when investigators decided to collect samples from people looked at back in 1997, they finally got their match. Living two doors down from Kirsten, Faith, and Shannon the night of the disappearance was a man named Anthony Joseph Palma, and it was his DNA that they found at the crime scene. Spoken to back in 1997, Anthony allegedly used to date Kirsten's older sister, and when police arrived after Shannon called 911, his truck was seen near the house. He denied any involvement in the case and was never arrested due to lack of evidence, but he did say that he let police search his home back in 1997. Back talking to police in 2015, Anthony claimed he was fast asleep when, at around 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., he woke suddenly to the sounds of barking dogs. When asked about the family, he claimed he did not know Shannon and denied ever working on their property. But testing his provided DNA sample with what was left on Kirsten's underwear, it was a match. Finding no record of the search he claimed he allowed at the time of the abduction, investigators also learned that Anthony had a criminal record that included assault, battery, prison time, and allegations that he broke into a young girl's bathroom window and molested her. Investigators believe that this is exactly what happened that night to Kirsten Hatfield. And when speaking to his wife around this time, she claimed that Anthony, each and every year, grew upset and withdrawn on the anniversary of the disappearance. Arrested for the murder, investigators relaunched the search for the young girl's remains. Unfortunately, this search, like the others, was fruitless. The month after his arrest, Anthony Palma attempted to take his own life inside of jail. Surviving and placed on suicide watch, the following year, prosecutors announced that they might have linked Anthony to other sexual assaults that occurred in 1979 or 1980. Allegedly, Anthony entered the bedroom window of his then-girlfriend in the middle of the night and told her eight-year-old sister to remove her underwear. When she refused... He then, quote, rubbed her vaginal area. After this assault, the year after Kristen vanished, Anthony drugged his 17-year-old roommate, and through the haze of her memory, she said that she remembered being naked in the bathtub 
and that he was pouring water on her. She believed that he drugged her and then raped her by instrumentation. Ordered to stand trial for Kirsten's murder, one of the young girl's school friends testified in court that Anthony Palma used to stare at her and Kirsten when they played outside and that he, quote, gave her the creeps. Presenting the DNA evidence as their slam dunk, in October of 2017, Anthony Joseph Palma was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Maintaining his innocence, he refused to disclose where the victim's remains were. On January 11, 2019, he was found dead under a blanket inside of his cell. His cellmate, Raymond Pilato, had killed him. Though she believes he took the life of her young daughter, Shannon McCrossan said that she did not want Anthony's life to end that way. She said that she had forgiven him. To this day, Kirsten Hatfield's body has never been found. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on February 13th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.